I'm Claire McKenna and this is the Focus Ireland podcast. In this series, we'll take a deep dive into the most prevalent social crisis of the last 10 years, homelessness. We'll discuss every aspect of the crisis, talk with people who've experienced homelessness firsthand, meet people who work in the field, as well as experts in the area. I'm Claire McKenna. You're very welcome to this episode of the Focus Ireland podcast. And in this episode, we're looking at who is homeless, telling the stories of the people behind the statistics. And this episode is going to explore the many varied factors involved in telling the stories of people who are homeless and those who have been in the past. We're going to hear from Joanne Beatty, who found herself rough sleeping at 19, but in her 30s is now leading a very different life due to the supports and her own life experience. And we'll also be joined by Kitty Holland. She's reported on social issues, including homelessness for many years. She's well positioned to share stories behind the statistics in recent decades and the changing face of homelessness. She has great insights into the importance of human stories in helping to highlight social issues, shine a light on inequality and to help drive accountability and change. Kitty Holland, journalist with the Irish Times, you're very welcome. Thank you. How important is it to you as a journalist to add in that human element to tell a story? Um, it's, well, it's absolutely vital, really. Um, it, it it brings the issues to life and brings the um, the impact of issues in that are causing homelessness and that might, um, measures that might address homelessness to um to life as i say and kind of brings home to the reader i work for a newspaper so brings home to a reader um the human realities of 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 the issues you know i mean if you're going to write a story which is all just facts and figures and comments from experts it's it's very flat very boring um well it's not boring but it's it's flat um and people don't really relate to it um and i suppose to really bring home the um the impact of the issues out there to readers is to say this is this is a person who's living it and so it's absolutely vital i mean you if really if you're doing a story on um such a human issue as homelessness you do need to hear the voices of the people and they're the experts to be honest um you know you can talk to the people in the esri or in government or in the department of housing till the cows come home but the real experts on homelessness are the people who are living it because we will get those reports won't we and those statistics and they can be jarring and they can get attention but to really get out of someone's head and into their heart you're going to need a, a human story. Has your ideas around homelessness changed and what it was through your, your years of, of working and reporting on it? Well, I suppose, I mean, my ideas are, you know, a, re- a reflection of what you're seeing out there in society and homelessness has changed. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I started in the Irish Times in the mid eight, mid 90s, I was adding a lot of years to my age, in the mid 90s. Um, you'd go out and talk to homeless people and it would really involve going and talking to people sleeping rough on the streets or or begging. Um, You really rarely heard about people living in hotels or families or children homelessness. I mean, there were were always families homeless, but very small numbers. You'd hear about sort of 20 a year, maybe, you know, 20 families becoming homeless in Dublin. And and from about mid-2014, 
um, the family homelessness issue really started to take off um, and that was a huge story for about two years sadly it's not a huge story anymore it's become normalized um, and that the figures fluctuate up and down Um, but the reality is that homelessness um, affects Protect potentially everyone, I suppose. It's it's potent. It's it's affecting even middle class people now. You know, people are fearing that they may not make the rent if they if um, if the rents keep going up the way they are. So it's um, an issue that is much more broad based and um, much more systemic and much more real, I think, for people than perhaps fifteen years ago. How have you found meeting people and getting to the heart of the story? How do you? get the trust of somebody because obviously you're meeting them at a very traumatic time be they on the street yeah. or in a hotel with their family having lost their home yeah well I mean I suppose if, if they've agreed to talk to me they've they've there's a little bit of trust there already you know that they've decided that this is the best thing for them to do you know people um people I suppose hope it's going to help their situation or help the situation in general and also um there's it it gives a sort of level of agency to people who are very disempowered by a system which has you know brought them to homelessness um, and I think that's really important as I said they are the experts um, and it's really important that we hear from them and I think it's really you know in terms of building up the trust I suppose in some way through your body language or through your facial expressions or how you word the questions you impart that to them that like it's important I want to hear your story and you're important your voice is important um, and maybe they don't hear that an awful lot from a lot of people as they're kind of navigating the system. Um, so I think there's an empowering um, aspect to it for people. Um, I hope there is. Um, and and I suppose, I don't know how people, people do open up to me and tell me it's the most, it's a real privilege that people would trust me with that, you know. Um, but I suppose if you've been doing it for, as I have, kind of 20 plus years there's a bit of a reputation. Maybe people say, look, you can't trust her. Um, she's not going to twist your words or make you look like an idiot or make you look like someone. somehow it's your fault. Um, but I, I th- yeah, I, th- I think it's very important that we, we tell people who are in these situations where they are very disempowered that, you know, we want your voice is important and you, um, you know, you, ha- you have agency, hopefully, to be part of a solution for yourself and perhaps in a tiny way towards shifting policy along the way to a better way of dealing with this. And so what sort of situations has your work brought you to? Have you spent time in emergency accommodation, in hotels? What are some of the things you've seen? Um, well, I mean, it's quite hard actually to get into the emergency accommodations uh, there. You know, you need the permission of the people who are running them and owning them. So um, they often, you know, people staying there aren't allowed visitors. Um, that would be the kind of emergency accommodation for single people. Um, hotels, they might have a little bit more um, freedom to have people come in. Um, I mean, I've I've met people, I've met mothers, I've met fathers, I've met single homeless people, I've met people who've just been injecting heroin down the alleyways around the forecourts, um, you meet and see some really devastating things, but people people in devastating situations. And um, yeah, it's. I, I suppose I don't think about it too much. You just sort of take it in, you take it as part of the job. But yeah, I mean, I have particularly single people sleeping rough, um, particularly, when, particularly when you see very young people, maybe sort of just 19, 20, that's that's hard to kind of go. Jesus, those poor, you know, that's that's rough. Um, 
parents in hotels are you know amazing amazing usually women um fighting and being there for their kids and and really you know holding them as best they can they're like heroes those women um and having to deal not only with their own trauma but the trauma trying to protect their children from their trauma so yeah i mean you you meet people in really devastating situations and they're surviving and they're amazing so i mean that they they are they are the voices that we need to hear from because they are the people who are living and really experiencing it in a way that you know dara o'brien never will and owen murphy never will and even owen o'brien never will but you know they're they're obviously the housing spokespersons from various parties um yeah (laughs) and as you say there's a broad spectrum and a backstory to every person there are a lot of different reasons why somebody ends up being homeless and yet we still have this one stereotype of the person sleeping rough and that there's some addiction involved and that's part of the story but it's much bigger than that so is that important to you that we are breaking down and and educating people because I think that's sort of othering isn't it that's just somebody who's very different to me whereas we should start seeing anyone who's homeless as the same yeah well I mean I suppose that I mean the people who you know you generally are ending up homeless so far are are people from poorer communities from you know from more people on on lower incomes because they can't meet the rent um so for a lot of um a lot of our readers unfortunately they are different um and that is a really difficult barrier to break through because they feel that that's kind of nothing to do with me that's um something's wrong with their community or their way of living or their and that's that's a really difficult thing to break through i think we can always try and say well this is a mother and this is you know a young person and that's it's i think it's actually almost more difficult than than we sometimes portray it in terms of trying to make that connection because there's a uh, establishment readership um there's a even an elite readership there's a there's a middle class there's such disparity of wealth in this country and there are you know i live in a quite a, a nice area in dublin and the people i would be meeting out walking the dog and everything i don't think they get at all the struggles that's that's a lot of communities are going through um working class uh, poor communities and i think there is an othering that goes on there and I don't want to sound be too depressing about it, but I think it is really difficult to break through that because it's so complex homelessness and it's so uh, there's so many factors involved and it is to do mainly with the way we set up society to, to produce such inequality that you grow up in a community and you don't have the same educational opportunities. There might be there might be a level of uh, society trauma that communities are going through that uh, make it more difficult to kind of grasp the opportunities that are there for people. And they don't get to, to pursue the lifestyles that a lot of wealthier people do. And uh, I don't know if I'm expressing this very well, but no, it's... No, you are. And we're starting to change that conversation yeah. a little bit. You do hear people accepting their privilege. Now, mm. whether that's the beginnings of it breaking yeah. down. And I've also heard discussion change from allyship still sort of it was Emma Dabbery I heard she was talking more around race but she was talking about inequality which is again what you're talking about here and she was saying there's something about how we used to look at people on the side of the trocra box this other that we were supposed to feel sorry for and what we're really looking for is a coalition we need to be meeting people 
eye to eye and yeah. pushing for systemic change that's really going to make a difference. Is that sometimes at the heart of of what you're doing? Who are you thinking of? Is it the reader, as you say, in the leafy green suburb to open their eyes? Or is it one of the housing ministers to really start to make change? Or is it all of that? Well, I mean, I suppose it's all of that. I mean, often when you're kind of interviewing someone, you just want to tell their story and 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 and, and give them a voice. Um, but there is a sort of there there is a sense of try, of how do you break through that othering of um, and I'm not I'm not I'm, I don't know how successful I am at it to be honest. It's because it is it's really difficult, and it is about inequality and it is about the way. Um, society is organized in such a way just even the private schools you know that there are kids growing up who are so much more vulnerable to being homeless um, than kids growing up in other parts of society and why is that and it's it is about inequality um, and it, and then it is about policies which favor um, you know creating ha- that housing has become a commodity and housing has become something you invest in um, you know you look around at all the vacant like luxury apartments and just think it's just obscene while there's people sleeping rough but that is the way our economy um, is is in, in many ways inviting investment into housing as as a commodity it's you know housing as capital um, rather than housing as as a as a right, and it's not necessarily that people should have a right to a house with three bedrooms and a back garden, but people should have a right to a, a basic level of state provision of housing if they need it. And if you don't need it, and if you want to go and buy a house in Aylesbury Road, knock yourself out, go and buy a house in Aylesbury Road. But I do feel that there are big questions about um, housing and what housing is for in this country. Um, you know, you look at European countries where, like we always talk about the Vienna model in Austria, where there is a level of public housing to which like everyone's entitled um, and it's there and a huge proportion of people live in good quality public housing and there's no stigma attached to that. Whereas here it's, you know, housing is such a status symbol. Um, uh, just, like every time you turn on the telly, it's about interiors and, you know, house refurbishments, that kind of thing. Whereas we should be talking about housing in a very different way, which is about um, society and about, you know, a level of protection and or a floor to which people will not be allowed to fall under. Um, and that's not here. And it's those kind of issues that push people into homelessness where we see the rents going so sky high and we won't do anything about it because it might upset property developers and banks and the landlord classes. Um, whereas we perhaps should be thinking, well, rent people can't afford those rents. Um, and yeah, so many issues. You could go on and on about the, you know, the gig economy and insecure work and um, the lack of mental health services and all the things that people who are vulnerable just don't get in this country. And you're right, because then the chain goes on and on and on into mm. the into the next generation. Yeah. Um, and how do you then not bring that home to you in your own life? I mean, even something you said there about the people around where you live, it's it, it's almost that you're you're conscious of the fact that there are so many of us living in privilege away from from all of this. And I suppose you're recognizing it is 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 step one. Yeah. But how do you make sure you don't bring your work home with you in terms of you know being depressed and upset mm. and well I mean I, I think you know journalism's a job um I I mean I almost I almost feel journalism's a public service you know it's 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 something I'm very passionate about I I don't think I could see myself working in you know the banking sector or in business um so I just think it's good journalism is so important and so I do see it as as a job that has to be done and done well 
and when I'm in the midst of talking to you know poor woman with three kids and a family hub or something I'm very focused on her and her story and writing it well and then you can't just kind of put it to one side because the job the job has been done well I hope um and I suppose that's what yeah I imagine that's what social workers and things do you know that you're dealing with a lot of people in in trauma and in awful circumstances and of course you do think about them and kind of go my god that's that poor woman but you have to you have to be able to just do the job and do it well and do it to the best of your ability and hope you've done them done right by them um and given them the best shot at their because it's an opportunity for them to have their voice heard that you've done done right by them and then you do have to yeah put it away and make the chicken noodles for the kids and watch telly and get up and do it all again the next day so and are there people that stay with you either in your head or your heart as you said or that you might be able to keep in touch with in some way i know you work a lot with with focus ireland so will you see people through certain processes come out the other side are you involved in that way ever um sometimes i mean sometimes people will stay in touch and i'll um stay in touch with them but you can't too much you know because because then you do become more than a journalist you become you start to become a confidant or a or you know or a legal advisor or a you know advocation for them with with um the health services or that kind of thing and that's it would just become too much um you know you can't you can't invest that much energy um because you have to keep the energy for you know for the for the job as it goes on so i mean there have been people who've i do remember and i do sometimes wonder whatever happened to um i interviewed a woman in 2014 who was sleeping in the car with her three kids and that was i think the first time that people certainly in the newsroom her name was sabrina sabrina mcmahon um and she she got a lot of flack on social media people didn't believe her i think it was too shocking um and there were aspects that people were like, well, why didn't you do this? And why didn't she do that? The usual. Um, so she has stayed with me in my head and I kind of wonder what happened to her. I think she did get housed. Um, and then a lot, a lot of the traveler stories, traveler homelessness, that a lot of those, the kind of the multiple intersectional discriminations that they face. I do think about some of those families, but generally, unless they come back onto the radar, don't stay too involved with it and i know there is the leap program the lived <coughs> excuse me the lived experience ambassador mm. program so you are getting to meet people who have trained who have received housing and and you get to see that end which i suppose is important those who get the right support at the right time the difference and impact it can make absolutely um yeah and i mean and it shows that with supports um, you know, one, they might not have ended up homeless, you know, because the, the supports were actually missing, you know, back earlier in their story. Um, and often there's, you know, there's stories of um, trauma and um, like some of the people I've interviewed, some of the stuff they've been through, which has led to, you know, domestic violence and, uh, you know, parents dying, you know, when they were kids and, you know, just awful awful stuff that they then got no supports with you know in terms of mental health and that kind of thing um 
And it's the lack of supports that lead into homelessness, the lack of infrastructure around their lives, the lack of money in their lives that, you know, would have got them the lack of contacts that we would have if we were got into trouble that meant they slipped through the cracks, all those kind of. So it's the lack of things that lead to homelessness. And then it's the necessary support. So things like the LEAP program really show that it's it supports that, you know, with supports, they are no different, you know, that people are no different to each other. And I think it also shows that, um, you know, people are people want to help each other. You know, we are actually a very generous. And I, when people say, oh, the Irish are so generous and helpful, I think it would the world over, you know, even in societies like Britain and the United States, people are out helping each other. And so there is there is a a natural inclination in all of us to want to help people we see in distress we see it with the whole ukrainian crisis again and we saw it you know it was there in greece with the syrians arriving on the beaches young people were down on the beaches pulling them in so we as humans we do want to support each other um and you know it's 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 that lack of um support and care i suppose in people's lives that lead to the issues that lead to homelessness and it's the, when you put the supports in place they're well able to get out of it and I, that, I don't I hate that to sound patronising but it's it's just it's true and that innate human spirit to survive I mm. mean you've spoke about women in the depths of trauma having to leave unquestionable situations and being in cars or yeah. hotel rooms with their kids and yet they're still remaining strong not all the time and not yeah. everybody is battling through it all but there is a real strength of human spirit isn't there have you seen that oh uh, yeah 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 absolutely and especially in parents you know i mean it's fathers as well you know it is mainly mothers it, who and you know because it's i think 90 percent of single parents are mothers and 60 percent of the homeless families are single parents so it's it's women who are carrying this disproportionately women and children um but the, yeah the, the parents are amazing you know because they have they have these you know they love their kids we we all you know parents love their kids and they and they hold them and they protect them and they do their best for them and try to make things as normal things like keeping them in their school you know i th always think that's such a you know they're determined to keep them in the same school even if they're placed in homeless accommodation you know three bus rides away because they want them that they want to keep them in their school because they know that that's that protective um, the protective factor of, of the stability of school. So it's, it's things like that that, you know, people kind of go, why, why don't you move them to a school closer to... It's because they know what's best for their kids. And, you know, so, yeah, that human spirit is is really, really strong. And, you know, harness it. We should harness it and society should be harnessing it. No one wants to end up homeless. And I think that's a really important point, actually, when we're answering the question, who is homeless? quite often who is homeless is going to be a single parent, be it a, a mom or a dad. Yeah. Because if you have kids, you're not going to be able to work. Yeah. Because you're not going to be able to afford the childcare. Again, it comes down to how we set up society. Absolutely. So you can easily get stuck. And if you don't have family support for whatever reason, yeah. and you're living somewhere where you don't have friends you can lean on, and who has friends who are available for 24-7 childcare? Yeah. Nobody. So I think that's again where we need to look at eye to eye and realize that it can really happen to anyone at any time. But there yeah. can be certain and circumstances it's how it is, that it's push how, it. As you say, it's how we set society up. I mean, there isn't a there isn't affordable childcare, you know, 
Um, if the if the if the same mother was home was living in Sweden, she would not be homeless because she would have affordable childcare, she would have um, good housing supports, she would have had she would have had free university education, so she probably wouldn't be in a low income bracket anyway. Uh, you know, it's and it's, access to affordable housing and access to affordable housing and uh, basic workers' rights. You know, how, how do you organise childcare where, when you can only get a zero hour contract um, and the gig economy? You know, the, no one can afford and organise childcare around a zero hour contract. So it's like again and again and again we've privatised services we're privatising housing you know we've farming social housing out to, so, to private landlords through the HAP system we don't provide good childcare no proper state provided childcare the state subsidises private childcare but doesn't provide any proper public childcare um, and then zero hour contracts because that suits the business world better like over and over again you know, our neoliberal society panders to business interests, and it's the people like the single mothers and and people with less kind of social capital of the private schooling and all that kind of thing who fall through the cracks. And then we try to blame them and say there's something wrong with them. Like we have serious questions to answer when people look in the mirror and go, well, it's nothing to do with me. As they wander down to you know Dublin Four Parks with their two thousand euro designer dogs. Uh, Sorry, it's all to do with you. And you spoke about starting as a journalist in the 90s and how much homelessness has changed since then. How do you remain hopeful that anything can can change or hopeful for our future? Yeah, I mean, it's you sometimes you think, God, things are just getting so much worse, you know, and but then I've hoped that things are slowly on another way are 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 getting better, like um, I mean, people may say it's terrible that Sinn Féin are on the rise. I'm not going to have any, I'm not going to recommend any party political to, because uh, I know people, anyway. Uh, but I do think that the left-wing arguments are gaining traction. Um, because and there's an appetite for change. There's an appetite for change. Yeah, there's an appetite for change. And people will say, oh, you know, parties like Sinn Féin or people before profit or whoever aren't going to make the changes necessary. But the thing is, they're saying what needs to be said. You know, so whether and and that's 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 resonating with people, and um, so I think that that's good. I think that people are seeing that things need to change. Um, how that happens, I'm not sure, but yeah, things things do need to change. Well, Kitty Holland, thank you for telling the stories of the people behind the statistics. Keep doing it because you're right. Every now and then, even if it just changes one perspective, I think there's real power in that and power in conversation, especially with the way we share information now. Yeah. That we can really push for for change. It doesn't have to come from the top down. It can come from the bottom up. Absolutely. But that is where change comes from. Every every social movement in the history of man has come from the bottom up. You know, if you want change, people have to fight for it. It doesn't get handed out. So I want to bring in Joanne Beatty. Joanne, you're very welcome. Thank you. So you're going to tell us a little bit about your experience and and reading one of the articles on you. And we're talking about getting behind the statistics and getting behind the the articles. But the headline read, turned my life around. Do you do you think that when you you look back at at, at your life? Um, Yeah, a big deal from where I was even four years ago to now, like it's a big difference. just like get back into education. Um, I, when the lockdown happened, um, 
I started getting kind of bored and just the boredom of not being able to go out and even do a little course. But um, I ended up linking in with Grania Dunahill from Peace. And I got my course, online courses through there and done oh, loads of courses. You did really. 15 courses through lockdown, Joanne. It's well worth saying. That is an incredible achievement. Most of us just sat and watched telly um 25 actually wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 25 um since july of like last year um 25 online courses under my belt which most of them has helped me to start my ce scheme with dublin simon um i'm currently doing uh in their retail shop at the moment so Amazing. And you plan somewhere in the future to go back and do social work in some way? Um, I hope to go back to foundations on um, Parnell Street to do my pre-social studies courses to make sure that it is what I want to do before I go back to college in 2023. Um, So hopefully I'll start that now in September and see how we go from there. Yeah. Well, can you take us back to when you were 19 and, and, and what was happening around that time that, that led you to become homeless? Um, I I had my son when I just turned 18, when I had my son, um, I just left school. Um, and living, I was living with my dad at the time, that was fine, and then it just... I kind of wanted my own independence. Um, I kind of le- left that home, but I left my dad's home, but it wasn't into my own house. It went into a mother and baby home, basically. And that's where kind of everything kind of spiraled. Then um, I ended up getting kicked out of there because 19 year old don't want to be told what to do, even though I had my own responsibilities I kind of was in that mind frame I didn't grow up yet um so yeah I end up from the baby and mother home I end up being in hostels and that's where I kind of started my uh homeless journey if you want to say part of my life and if myself and Kitty have been talking already about the struggle for a single parent and how difficult it is because it's really hard to get childcare to enable you to go out and get work. Was that something you were interested in doing, but you found it too hard or was it all muddled up with being so young and, and having so much responsibility? I think it was kind of just more muddled up. Like I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't really know like where to go for help with that kind of stuff in the homeless there's it is there but it's you have to kind of look for it it's not like in your face where oh you know you can go to this place and especially with a new person coming in it's hard and you were sleeping rough on the streets did you have your your son with you at that time no my son um sadly went into care in 2010 um so it's kind of been me on my own until 2012 I ended up having my little daughter uh Quiva um but my dad took her over because I kind of 
went back down a path that I kind of got really depressed and stuff that I ended up going back on the drugs then and it didn't help. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that must have been such a difficult time for you dealing with all of that trauma and then you don't have somewhere to call your own to mm. go home and, and try and piece yourself back together. Yeah, it was really hard. So um, that's where I got locked up in 2013. Um, and when I came out, I was just like, I kind of wanted to change then and I had for about oh, 18 months I had changed my life then and something happened and then you kind of just roll back into that kind of business again um so that kind of yeah yeah and I think hurt. that's the same for anyone on any kind of struggle you don't just get better all of a sudden you go two steps forward four steps back and and where were you living at, at that time um i was in judge darley's down in at the museum i they put me there when i came out of prison um and it's hard it was hard i don't it's hard when you do go get locked up and you come out and you're put back in the same situation after even if it's only like two or three months in prison you've gotten your whole self away from everything and then you're put back straight back into it when you leave like so yeah it's hard <laughs> and what would you say was rock bottom for you um my i was in a relationship and it just it was so to toxic and um i just had enough there about three years ago i just it was enough and i just said no more so i ended up getting myself clean again back then and been clean since so yeah it's been a long journey still on the journey every day for an addict pass out you're every day you're an you're an addict for the rest of your life it's your journey and keeping yourself away from the drugs you're in recovery for the rest of your life that yeah and most people i don't think understand that like you say yeah right you're clean that's it like you're never going to go there it's not it's every day for the rest of your life but there was something in you that day that said i want a different path i want a different life and i'm going to do everything in my power to get onto that path do what i have to do yeah and I'm here now, still alive and kicking. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then some. And when did you start to link in with, with Focus Ireland and get supports there? Um, I was, I'm living in a Focus Ireland place, so I always had Focus Ireland around me, you know, that way. So um, I had went to caretakers about a year after I had gotten out of prison and when I had 25 you can't stay there anymore so you kind of move on so um I was lucky enough to get block four which is a part of Focus Ireland um I was there for four years and then I got to their long-term place in the back so I've been there for the last oh nearly four years actually yeah so eight years altogether with Focus Ireland so I kind of knew like about peace and so that kind of helped. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and what difference does it make then to have a, a place of your own and have people there that, that, that can help you? I mean, you've had to help yourself. Mm. Absolutely. But to know that there is a way for you to go back and, and educate yourself, that there's somewhere for you to stay that's safe and yours. How important has all that been to you? Oh, very important. I don't think I don't think if I um, didn't have like the likes of Focus Ireland, the places, long term places. Um, I don't think I would be where I am now, where I could like people going through recovery. Some people do it with methadone. Some people do it with going cold turkey, which is with nothing. And if you do that option, it's hard when you're out on the streets every day. You can't do it. You need your own little place, which kind of helped. <laughs> Helps like, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. And myself and Kitty have been talking about the assumptions people make about anyone who ends up homeless. Is there something you'd like people to know about what it's like to be homeless? Um, it's a struggle. Like. I never, I never came from a drugs or a drink background before I came homeless and people were like, people were thinking, oh, I'm just scum, I'm dirt, I'm not a part of society because they all paint every single homeless person with that they're either on drugs or they're drinking or whatever. They don't take the time to ask us, how did you get here? Ask us our story. You'd be very surprised how people come, become homeless. And it's it's sad that society is like that, that they think so bad, or not bad, but not nice about people. And I'm sure you've met so many people along the way as well and heard so many different stories. Nobody makes a choice and decides, I'm checking out of life, I'm going to be homeless. No, no, no one makes the choice. No one does. They make choices, yes, but not to be homeless effect make them be homeless yes but no it's sad it's I'd, I'd love I would love if I even change one person's mind about people that are homeless there's so many young kids coming up now that are gone that are becoming homeless 18 new 18 19 year olds that's horrible and especially with the care system they come from there because they don't have supports when they leave care and that's sad they need that like yeah and there can all be all kinds of family reasons and tragedies as to why somebody ends up in the care system and they need more support not not less less yeah they need definitely need support and is that why you're looking at maybe going down the social care route so you can give back to people that that might slip through the cracks as you almost did i've i'm such a caring person I always have my mum would even say it's yeah I've always cared about everyone else other than me um, yeah it does get hard it is um, I going back because of my experience through the homeless homelessness um, sometimes people even you could ask other people they feel like key workers don't do enough for them or they're not there enough for them um i am going to become a key worker one day and i'm going to make sure i do everything for all my clients no matter who they are i'm going to make sure 
they get what they need. No, it's very emotional. I'm, I'm, I'm upset hearing your story and hearing you speak from the heart and we really appreciate your, your honesty. And are you going to keep taking care of yourself yeah. as well? Yeah. And my number one. Yeah, absolutely. I can't do, I can't do things that I want to do. I've dreamt for years to do um, without looking after me. I'm in a new relationship, which he's so supportive of me, of everything I do. Yeah. And you're supportive of yourself for the first time, which I think is incredible to see. Yeah, I've looked after me, thought about me for once. <laughs> and just to give Joanne a moment there, Kitty, I mean, that is going to tears as well. <laughs> Another indication, I, I, you know, to, this is why we want to do this podcast to show that someone who ends up homeless is a, is a is a real life person. It sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but Joanne is more than her story. She's more than her addiction. She's a mother. She's a person. She's a smart, intelligent, caring woman who, with the right supports, wants to now give back yeah. to society. Yeah, well, you're amazing, Joanne. Like just the resilience and the determination and. Like, and it struck, it struck me when you were telling your story, <laughs> sorry, I'm moved as well, but what, how young you were, like, I mean, there was no one there to mind you and you were so young with a baby. Like, I mean, it's, that would just not happen in other communities, you know, where there's money flush. I mean, it might happen, but it's just, you know, people need supports all the way through their lives. And when they don't have them, things happen that they can't they can't they can't struggle on their own they can't get through the struggles on their own so you know i just and it and joanne just shows like like anyone would be just delighted to have you working for them and all you're just so strong you're so resourceful you're so amazing like to have come through all that and to be still standing i mean most people don't go through a tenth of what you've been through and they'd collapse in a heap and be where's my mom you know but you've had to do it on your own and you've like you're you're just you're an inspiration so like and so many people who go through homelessness are like that they have such struggles that we will never know and you know <clears throat> and to come out the other end they're like they're they are amazing people home people who go through homelessness because they to survive it you have to be so strong and um and people don't understand that they think they're you know that as you say, that they're dirt on the streets, that they walk past them, that they shouldn't pay any attention to them. Whereas actually, geez, they're they're amazing people, most of them. And that's a really important point. Like I've really had my eyes open to that. You're not looking for pity, you know? Nobody wants to be pitied. They should be applauded and helped to move on. But you're right, you should be applauded for everything that you, you came through. To come out the other side of that is massive. It really is. And I think Joanne also highlighted talking about key workers that's a, another area that needs systemic change that even with the greatest of intentions that whole system is close to, to breaking well, point well they're under resourced like it just uh, just like saying god love your your ambition now to be do, be able to help every client because you <laughs> if you work in the current system it'll be a very you probably won't have the resources to you know you'll be run ragged so you know do look after yourself first through because it's it's a tough world out there in the social well, care system I can change that huh? yeah yeah well with, you know Hope. with people like you you know with the chipping away at us hopefully yeah i'm ambitious if i can change something why not you know what i mean yeah so hopefully yeah and i asked kitty as a journalist writing for the irish times over the last few years does she remain hopeful for the future and you know she said yes begrudgingly <laughs> there's a lot of work to do 
but you're you're hopeful you're giving me hope joanne yeah i ho- i have hope for myself i can only do it for what i know i can do and for myself and if i can help other workers along the way like next workers after me well then why not yeah of course make their life a little bit easier have more resources as kitty said like it is the resources um um but also if you're going to meet a 19 year old now who's just come out of the care system who's left it as they do at 18 and is about to go down a particular path you can show them that there's another one because you've done it yeah get them back into education it's there for them go to peace get little courses do other online courses um there's loads out there every single one of mine i didn't have to pay for which was great and i still do some for myself at home little courses just to be more educated about stuff that i didn't know it's great well it's a society I want to live in where we invest in people like you Joanne I wish you all the best although I've no doubt whatever you do you're going to flourish at keep going it's been an absolute privilege to talk to you today likewise Kitty Holland journalist thank you very much for talking to me today Coming up in the next episode of the Focus Ireland podcast we'll be asking why does Ireland have a homelessness crisis They lived in over 13 rental houses, 13. There was no stability. There was no sense of security. It wouldn't be like we were being thrown out or anything like that. It would have been the landlord wanted to open, uh, sell the property. The landlord um, wanted to up the rent and we couldn't afford it. And then each time having to go to the new rental property and provide a deposit to provide a month's rent in advance. And the social welfare don't give you like a, a, a deposit each time you go and rent a house. You're given one deposit and you have to make that back up at the end. It's, it's going nowhere. Please remember to like, subscribe and share. If you'd like more information on the work of Focus Ireland, visit focusireland.ie.